morning, Christ Central. Yes, glad to see you all on this beautiful resurrection day, Sunday, yes. I'm Tamika Ingram, I'm one of the deaconesses here and a co-leader of the Mint Hill Community Group. And this morning our scripture reading will come from Acts chapter one, verses six to 11, NLT. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into the heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Uh, we'll not keep you long this morning because we got all the little kiddos in here. Um, and so we will try to be as brief as we can with some of these things. But I want us to remember that because Christ is risen, it is proof that our sins have been paid for in full, that God has accepted his sacrifice. If it were not so, Jesus would still be in the grave and we would still be in our sins, but hallelujah, our king is risen and we will rise with him. That is enough for us today. That is enough for us to run on for the rest of our lives. But God is gracious and he keeps giving us grace upon grace so that we can keep going for however many years that he has given to us. But let us never forget that the creator of the world, the one who through his breath gave us life, took his last breath to give us new life. This is the one who we have come to worship this morning, a king, a creator who was willing to sacrifice himself so that we might live with him forevermore. Amen? Jesus rose from the dead. And that is what we celebrate today. And he rose from the dead, and, and the scriptures tell us that when he, uh, he gave many convincing proofs that he was with his disciples for over 30 days, up to 40 days, and he showed himself to many others, and people touched him, and he, Jesus even made breakfast by the, the sea, you know, with his disciples, and, and ate with them, and um, he, he talked with others, and he encouraged them, and he taught them for a while. He didn't just rise from the dead and then disappear, but he was with his people for quite some time. And then we just heard this morning that, uh, that uh, before Jesus left, he commissioned his followers. He told them that they were to bear witness about him and to bear witness about the kingdom of God which Jesus has inaugurated. That is, as the king of God's kingdom, 
He is the one who brings it to earth. Something new, something entirely different in all of human history has happened as a result of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. The world has never been the same, and it never will be. Right? And, but even as we think about this, this whole call, this, this commissioning of Jesus to his people to go out and start telling others about him and go out and start telling people about the kingdom of God, that can be a problem for some of us, even those of us who name the name of Jesus, because we've experienced some, some weird, some strange, and maybe even some abusive things when it comes to proselytizing. Like, it does not seem to be the issue. Many of you who work in workplaces where Jesus cannot be named publicly or it would seem out of order or maybe even hostile to your working environment to talk about Jesus, proselytizing seems like the issue. Now, most people would agree that it's good for us. It is good for us to pursue something in this world that is good, right? I mean, to want to make a difference, whether it's a, it's a small difference or a large difference, it's a, it's a good thing. But, but, but Christianity says that we have a king who is risen. We have a king who is alive and well, thank you very much, and he has given us marching orders. And who are we, who are we to disobey those orders? We have marching orders. We have to take them in. But then, uh, but then others would ask Christians, by whose authority do you do these things? How dare you speak these things of Jesus and the kingdom of God and proclaim these things in the world? After all, don't you all worship this, this Jesus and you say he's risen? Well, he's, he's alive, but he's up there somewhere. He's not among us. He's not here. We don't see him. Isn't that a convenient excuse to say that all we can speak and witness by the authority of Jesus? Well, where is he? Where is this Jesus? Hey, and, then, and, then, and even for some of us who, who follow Jesus, it's, it's hard even as we think of this idea, this, this commissioning of witnessing to the kingdom is, is still hard because guess what? We look around, just like everybody else, and oppression and death is still a part of our reality. And it leaves us wondering, is Jesus really alive? Is he truly risen? What in the world are we actually bearing witness to? In the book of Acts, as you read it, it shows us that there are ordinary people, there are ordinary people just like you and I, right, that have been commissioned, that, that, that love on their neighbors, even while Jesus is physically absent, and they do so in extraordinary ways. And as we listen to and watch these things play out in the book of Acts, we realize that uh, today we can't replicate those things like verbatim, you know, by, by each little thing. But, but there, there are things that, there are ways that which we have been invited into that. But the book of Acts gives us some boundaries. Some boundaries for this whole idea, this whole project of taking up the commission that Christ has given to his disciples and to all those who would follow him today. Some boundaries to, to live in this world and to relate to the world. How do we do it? How does the scriptures, how do they help us to, to figure out how to characterize our journey as we are passing through? For we indeed are passing through. 
part of what we celebrate today is the reality of the new creation. For this world is ours, it belongs to us in Christ. But it will not be as it is right now. It will no longer be a world full of sin and death and suffering, but death itself will be swallowed up by life. And every day will be hallelujah and thank you, Jesus. And that is what we are looking forward to. But how, what characterizes our lives? How ought we to bear witness while we are passing through these scriptures this morning from the book of Acts? I would suggest helps us to look at three different things, and I won't take long through these. They're characterized, our journey should be characterized by some things that we learn from the angels, we learn from Jesus' words, and we also learn from his spirit. How, 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 do, how do we characterize, what, what should our witness in this world look like as we are passing through as we are walking along the way, or to ask us a different way, how are we to live in this world until Jesus returns? How are we to live in this world until Jesus returns? Well, the angels and Jesus and Spirit from this text give us some help. Notice in verse 9 in the scriptures, it says that, that after he had said these things, Jesus, he was. Uh, lifted up, and while they were looking on, a cloud received him out of their sight, and, uh, and as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going on, behold, two men in white clothing stood behind them, and what did they say? They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Why do you stand looking into the sky? I mean, can you picture it? These men are just like, well, you know, you would think the obvious answer would be, well, Jesus just ascended. We were kind of wondering where he went, right? Just like, wow, we just saw him and he disappeared. And so, but the, well, what's going on here is that they're, they're fixed. They're, they just remain standing there, staring into the sky, not looking at what is around them, not being engaged in the world around them. And I think the words of the angels here help us as we think about how we are to live in this world until Jesus returns. That we should not be the kind of people who walk around just staring into the sky, not being engaged in the things in the, that are happening around us. Now, I'll give you some examples here. For one, I give those of you who have been around me a lot, and, and, and also you know uh, one of our partners, the Charlotte Institute of Faith and Work, right? Many of you have jobs, whether it's in your home, whether it's at, for somebody else's company, you run your own company. Right? Whether it's paid or unpaid, you have work. And, and, and my, my young people in the house, you have work too. You go to school, right? That's work, right? We should get an amen on that because y'all putting in work. I know. I know y'all putting in work. My kids, they putting in work. So, okay, listen, how do we practice our faith at work? Well, if we're like these kind of Christians who just want to stare into the sky and not really pay attention to what's going on around us, but usually the answer is, well, we just try to start a Bible study. Look, there's nothing wrong with that. Amen if you can have a Bible study at your job, right, if you're able to do that. But what about asking the question, is God actually here in this place doing something, and can I join him in what he's doing? Instead of just going, oh, well, let me create, right? And, and is, is God, in light of the resurrection, is Jesus at work doing something so that we can begin to reimagine 
our work according to the new life that is at work within us. That is something that is much different than trying to escape from the world by simply staring up into the sky. It's all good to have prayer meetings for your community. We need to have that, right? But this is, this is a both end now. We need to have prayer meetings for our community, but we also need to be on the community board, right? It's just like, are you active? Or are you just staring into the sky, escaping, looking up? Well, Jesus is up there. Wait a minute, right? Um, or, or maybe it's somehow when, it, when, we, when we have this kind of mentality, it gets worse than this where we, you know, it doesn't really matter how I treat my neighbors or it doesn't matter how I treat my children as long as I'm putting in my hours at Sunday school, as long as I'm helping out with, with welcoming guests on Sunday morning. It doesn't really matter how I treat other people, right? But, but, but we are not called to withdraw. We are not called to escape on this journey, but to be present in this world. For Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Peacemakers enter into the conflict. Peacemakers get their hands dirty. They risk being hurt themselves because they were standing in the midst and trying to bring about a resolution. This is what we ought to be about. Now here it is. Now you hear this word, this, this term, sons of God. Man. See, that's, that's why I don't really get involved with stuff that's going on. Because that sounds like, you know, a whole lot of, like, like power. A son of God. Uh, do you, you know, back in those days when the Romans were ruling, do you know how people became sons of God? By force. Right? I mean, you, you, you took it. You were ascended, right, uh, hopefully uh, by some way, but hook or crook through uh, uh, by being born to somebody who was already ruling or, or maybe like by, through treachery and working through all kinds of things, you would ascend. And once you ascended, then you were called a son of God. And you were given this so-called divine right to dominate, to control. And so many others have said, it's been said many times, that phrase, you know, that, that ab absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right? You've heard that? And so, so we don't want to touch, don't want to touch that uh, power. We don't, want to, we don't want to get, we don't want to get in the midst of things and start exercising power. It's so much better to just withdraw rather than to add to the problem. And yet, if we would withdraw, if we try to escape from the world while we're on this journey through the world, then the decay and the injustice that is going on around us and among us will go unchecked. The world cannot afford for the church to not pay attention. It cannot. Our neighbors need God's people. And it's time to bear witness. It is time to be present. What our world needs is for a people who declare wholeheartedly that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they also need people who will learn how to use their power for the sake of their neighbors. Right? As we have heard this morning, Jesus told his followers that they would, if they would wait in Jerusalem, they would receive power. So Jesus didn't give us something just so that we would put it on the shelf, that we would put it on the side and, 
and just kind of like keep staring up into the clouds and, you know, by and by when Jesus comes, you know, and we just, hey, let's don't worry about what's going on around us. Just we're not going to really get involved, you know, because, hey, when Jesus comes back one day, he's going to straighten it all out. Don't worry about it. Well, look, when you're going through your stuff, you want somebody to intercede. You want somebody to help out. Maybe Christ has empowered us to do the same for our neighbors. The path that Jesus has laid out before us, the risen Jesus has laid out before us, is not a path of escape. It is not a path of withdrawal. And yet there's another wrong turn that we can make if we stay with this sort of analogy of, of traveling and a journey. We can take another wrong turn. And that other wrong turn is to control. Look here at verse 6 again, and I, I apologize. I just realized you guys have a different version up there, but y'all are smart enough. Y'all can catch on. I'm reading a different translation. Here we go. Verse 6. It says, so when they had come together, they were asking him, Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the, the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus, you went to the grave, and they, they crucified you. You took your last breath, and then you rose victoriously. And you have been speaking to the powers that be. You have been correcting them your entire ministry, and here you are, risen in power. Is now the time to take it. Is now the time to take over. Is now the time to make this into a Christian nation? Uh-oh. Right? Is it, is it time? Is your kingdom? It is not for you to know, Jesus says. Wait a, wait a minute. Wait a minute. But, like, but, 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 but God, like, isn't there some agenda out there? Isn't there some program or some ideology that we can grab hold of and begin to control and to take this country back? For the sake of Jesus Christ, can't we just, can't we just dominate people? We are sick and tired of this. Can't, what, is there something it is not for you to know? Some Christians have totally conflated the gospel with a particular political party or social agenda. And I'm not just talking about, if you're thinking about, oh, yeah, it's those people, well, then it's probably your camp that I'm talking about, right? It's just, look, it's everybody. We all fall prey to this mess. Y'all know it. The church is in trouble today because we have surrendered the commission that Jesus has given to us to a bunch of other people and ideologies who are not risen from the dead. They are not Lord. They are not king. We were purchased by the blood of Jesus, not by the blood of the ballot. Many Christians in our past have given in to a manifest destiny, baptizing the slaughter and the slavery of our neighbors. We are not called to dominate. We are not called to control on this journey. Jesus didn't do it. Neither can we. For our Lord made it plain when he said, blessed are the meek. For they are the ones who will inherit the earth. 
Not those who have all the control. Oh, yes. We need to learn how to use our power. It must be exercised, but we must also do it while clearly declaring to a watching world that it is Jesus who is Lord. You see, we got to do both of those things. So that the, the path, that, that's a, it's a terrible path that we can take. It is not, uh, it's, we are not to take a path of control, nor are we to take this path of withdrawal or escape. But how does the Holy Spirit guide us? The power that Jesus has sent from on high. Look again at verse 8. Verse 8 says this. I'll, I'll read so you guys can go. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are called to bear witness to the rule of Jesus. Right, think about this. Remember, God's people from antiquity, that in the times of Abraham, God said to Abraham, he told him, he said, here's the promise, right? Here's the promise, my son. Here's the promise, my friend. He said, I will, yeah, I will make your descendants more numerous than the stars, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, right? And then God traveled with those people many years later through the wilderness, underneath the glorious cloud along the way. And, and, and as he traveled with them in the wilderness, through rough times as they were pursuing the promise, what God had laid out before them as they were going, he, he set up a system for sacrifice. And brothers and sisters, let us make this plain that as God was traveling with his people, he always made plain to them that they would know him and travel with him according to his sacrificial love according to his sacrificial love. Now, I suspect that for many of the faithful who fall prey to the path of withdrawal or the path of control, that the issue at the bottom may just be a lack of trust, a lack of trust in the God who has shown us his sacrificial love a lack of trust in God's healing power and his presence for themselves. And so we may feel like God has disregarded the, the physical world, that, you know, what we can see, you know, like not what is above but what is below because we, we may be tempted to think that God will not be with us in the ordinary world, the ordinary world where we experience child slavery and miscarriages, Lord, have mercy. Or we think that God is, you know, somehow he's, maybe he's, he's disregarding the, the things that are spiritual, right? Because, you know, God, God, God doesn't change hearts anymore, does he? This is, I mean, what, what, I'm still, you know, preach, I'm still around people who, who have not repented for their abuse. I've still got deep-rooted anger, rage. Deep down inside me, what, what is God doing? But God took on our humanity so that our broken humanity might be restored. Jesus, who is full of grace and truth, 
shrouded himself in our flesh and fulfilled the law so that he would become the sacrificial lamb of God. Jesus in himself, in the body, just like ours, but yet also God is himself the temple of God. So whereas the people first traveled with the tabernacle and the sacrifices were made there according to the promise and, and, and God showed his sacrificial love and they lived in covenant with him according to his sacrificial love. He said Christ who became that temple for us. And what Jesus shows us is that our bodies matter and that there is forgiveness of sins. Right? So, uh, uh, what, so then what about those who have come to this ascended king in humble faith. How should we live? Well, the apostle Peter, he said this in chapter 2 of his book, 1 Peter, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, catch this, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Through Christ, God's people are called to bridge heaven and earth, providing a foretaste of what is to come by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through Christ, I'll say it again, the people of God bridge heaven and earth Providing a foretaste, not the full thing, an appetizer, if you will, right, of what's to come by the power of the Holy Ghost. Through Christ, ordinary people, ordinary Christians, the church becomes the temple of God. That is our calling. That is what we ought to be as we are passing through. What an amazing calling. To be the temple of God? I mean, you, you, I mean, when you think about yourself and in light of the cross and that, and that God would sanctify you and set us apart to be his dwelling place, I mean, just let that hit you. I mean, think, think about this. There's a world without death, as I said before, and, and oppression that is coming but is not yet here. But yet what we are called to do is to practice courageous, self-giving love from the church building all the way to the corner, right? That is what we are to do. We are to use our hands both for prayer and for plowing. We are to be heavenly minded for earthly good, right? And, and uh, you know, and I used to read this passage. I would read this passage often as many of you have, and I would think, why is the spirit needed at all to bear witness Right? Why, why is the Spirit needed? Is, after all, isn't witnessing just saying some things out of your mouth? And like, sure, you get scared sometimes, and you, know, you don't want to talk about it, and you're, you're afraid that somebody might get angry, or you might lose a friend or something like that. But do you really need the Holy Spirit just to help you with that? You know, like, what's going on? But listen, listen. We're bearing witness to the kingdom of God. We've been called to be the temple and so by, by the Spirit, then, we come to understand the truths of Scripture. By the Spirit, we come to understand reality. 
By the Spirit, we are able to fulfill the new commandment which Jesus says, which is to love one another as he has loved us. By the Spirit, we grow in character and begin to bear fruit in mission and in service. By the Holy Spirit, we bear witness to the kingdom of God, even in our weakness, even in our trauma, even in our struggles, even in our conflicts, our doubts, our tears, and our sacrifices. We can proclaim the kingdom of God by the presence of the Holy Spirit. For Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. By the Holy Spirit, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken. We may be struck down but not destroyed. That is the hope that we have. That is the power that we have. If we would live our lives in humble reliance upon the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the presence of Jesus in and around us. Switch things up here just for a second. There's this philosopher, Canadian philosopher, um, famous. One of his most famous books is this book called The Secular Age. Um, you know, if you're having problems sleeping one night, maybe this might be a good book to read. It's probably about that thick. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? So, I mean, it's so, it's, I mean, it's so dense. There are probably, I'm guessing, there are probably at least three or four other books out there that have been written based off of this book, right, to kind of like break it down. But in any case, um, the philosopher Charles Taylor, he, he reminds us, he says, he says that there's this whole idea of the self that existed in ancient times, right, back in the time of, of Jesus and prior to that. So, right, it wasn't just Christians that kind of believed this thing, but there was this idea of the self, yourself, that, that you had to uh, discover the meaning of life. The meaning of life is out there for you to discover, and, and that everyone might have a chance to find an answer. And that everyone must discover it, and once you discover it, you need to align yourself with it. But, but, he says, the modern self, the modern self believes that we create that meaning of life for ourselves. And that, and, and that, therefore, should make us free. This is part of the Enlightenment project, the modern project, right? Uh, uh, and, and, and even uh, after the modern, modern times. And, uh, but so, therefore, therefore, when Christians open their mouths and proclaim that there is one out there who has come to give us life, the meaning of life itself, it sounds oppressive to the modern ear. You see why? Right? If the promise for the modern self is to be able to make your own self, that is what, that is what we're able to do. Well, you say somebody else is coming to give you meaning, but well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? You're taking away my freedom. It sounds oppressive. Because in our modern times, we believe that we must discover and align ourselves with the meaning that we find within ourselves. But Christians are proclaiming that we must align, we must discover and align ourselves with the meaning that is given to us by our Savior, right? And so before many of our neighbors, and maybe some of you here this morning as you hear this and you hear about a resurrected Jesus, you know, and um, you hear us proclaiming that there's a, a king who is alive, it might be disturbing because there's this power that is out there that might infringe upon the way that you are directing your own life. If I believe in this Jesus, Will he do something to me? Will he change the way that I look at life? 
Will he change the way that I define myself? Will he change what I look to for meaning? Yes, he will. He does it for every single one of us in here. And yet those of us who proclaim freedom in Christ, we are the ones who are free. Because suffering cannot take away our meaning. I mean, here's the truth. If this world is all that you have, right, then suffering will always take that meaning away. Whether you're injured, betrayed, insulted, uh, you, you go through financial trouble, sickness, or death itself, right? Suffering is inevitable. There is nothing you can do to escape it. You cannot work hard enough. You cannot pray hard enough. You cannot be smooth or smart or slick enough to avoid it. Suffering comes for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are or what you believe, but you are not free if the meaning of life is found within yourself or the things that you can accomplish. Because suffering and death touches everything, except for the one who rose from the grave. If you give up your freedom to make meaning yourself, you actually gain the freedom to have meaning even through suffering. Because the meaning of life is risen. And he says, where he is, you will also be. But we are still just ordinary people. And I was tempted to name this sermon Ordinary People, and I realized a whole lot of folk in here don't know who John Legend is anymore. So, um, so I just, I just really, but, but as the song goes, we do get to take it slow. It's ordinary people in Christ, investing in the people around us not staring up into the sky, not trying to control, but investing, serving the people in the places around us, walking in the Spirit, not running. What should characterize our journey? How should we live in this world until Jesus returns? Not escape or control, but witnessing. Witnessing. So be free, family. Be free. After Jesus rose from the dead, he went from just being God with us to becoming God in us. The kingdom of God is still at hand. Don't let the troubles of this world and the trials that you are facing and even the sin that is still in your own life get you twisted. The kingdom of God is still at hand. No matter where we go, however long we may live, our king is risen. And we have a call to bear witness, to be heavenly minded for earthly good. Are you ready to be his temple church? God is calling us. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we do thank you that you sent your one and only son to be like us to take our sin upon his body on the cross, that we could have our bodies back. Thank you, God. We cannot say thank you enough for the life and the power and the hope and the love and the grace that you have given to us. But Lord, you have uh, given to each of us 
a time to live on this earth. And you have shown us the way to live courageously and to, to love others in a way that is sacrificial, not for the sake of ourselves, but for your glory and for others. Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, fill us and shape us to reflect our risen King for all of our days. Help us to be your dwelling place for your glory so that many others may be drawn to you and brought into your kingdom that they too would experience eternal life. Help us, Lord, when we are tempted to run away or to try to control, but rather help us to trust you. Help us to trust you, the one who gave up everything for us so that we could give all to you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.